0: Three reasons make up more than 60% of patients number one reason above all of the others for choosing an area. The first is a referral from their physician as 21% of patients. The second is...
1: Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patients, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones.
0: On this show, it's half me interviewing my guests, half them interviewing me. I'm not going to go into their intro and bios here because I do that a little bit in the beginning of the conversation and then they introduce each other. But they're three different MDs in three different areas of medicine that are also in the MBA program at Harvard. And in today's show, we talk about OBGYN referrals, OBGYN relationships. There's some really good insights for you there. The show is really about where the nexus of clinic operations and marketing come together. There is a place after the overlap where I can't go any further. And these three could, and there was a part where they wanted to go deeper in terms of using marketing to set up client operations. And I was able to go there. So I hope you enjoy this. This is the nexus of where the bottleneck of the REI field is addressed where clinic operations and marketing come together. Doctors Yanni Sepugai and Milroy, Yanni, Anna, Colleen, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. This is a little experiment that we're doing sort of on the fly. These are three MD, MBA students at Harvard and Dr. Milroy, I know through the field, of reproductive health. And they are interviewing me about a project that they have. If I can provide some insights, that's the reason you're listening to this podcast episode. And if you're not, it never made the light of day. You're my podcast editor throwing this episode in the garbage. So Dr. Yanni, Leanne, tell us a little bit about the team that you have and the venture you're exploring.
1: Excellent. So I'm Dr. Yanni, and I'm an internal medicine doctor at bon Secours Mercy Health in Richmond, Virginia. And we have my colleagues Colleen Milroy, who is a fertility specialist in Billings Clinic in Montana, and Anna Sapugay, who is an OBGYN at Sutter Health in California. And we are all currently enrolled in Harvard's TH Chan School of Public Health, the Master of Healthcare Management. It's a very special. Uh, masters. It's focused on physicians. It's a two-year program designed to support physician leaders and physician. We are currently taking a marketing class taught by Linda McCracken, who's very well known across the country for her marketing expertise. And our project is to define a clinical problem and a marketing strategy um, using focused marketing techniques to address the clinical problem. And we have really chosen to focus on fertility. And with Colleen uh, Milroy's expertise in uh, billing uh, Montana with her uh, fertility expertise. We're going to focus in that area. So that's why we're talking to you today, Griffin, and really glad for the opportunity.
0: The pleasure is entirely mine. Why did you choose fertility? Did Colleen strong arm the rest of you, or how did did you choose that this was the opportunity in the nexus of medicine and business that we want to explore?
2: So, you know, infertility afflicts not only insured patients or the wealthy, but it all, it afflicts all kinds of women and all walks of life. And with the expansion in billings, our goal is to have health equity, even within the infertility sphere. So if we are able to reach patients with infertility issues in rural America, minority women, that would be something that we would like to enter and possibly reach patients who have not been reached before in the infertility sphere. So in your experience, what has been the best way to reach infertility patients? Is it by engaging them directly Engaging their community or going to the providers that they see, like their obstetrician, gynecologist, or their primary care physicians? And for our target population, would we do that differently for patients in rural America?
0: So the second, the answer to the second question, would you do it differently is likely yes, because the answer to the first question is it depends on the area. There's effectively three different reasons why a patient selects a fertility provider. There's more, but three reasons make up more than 60% of patients' number one reason above all of the others for choosing an area. The first is a referral from their physician. That's 21% of patients say that that was their number one factor in influencing their decision referred by another physician. The second is referred by a friend at 20%. And the third is location at 19%. I could be mixing up two and three. I don't think I am. If I am, I'll, I'll correct it in the show notes, but those three are on the heels of each other. 21%, 20%, 19% physician referred by a friend and location. I actually, I think location is number two. So I'll clarify that in the show notes, but they are all close to being on the heels of each other. This isn't to say that only 21% of fertility patients are referred by a physician or only 20, 19% are referred by a friend. It's just to say that's what they say is the most influential in choosing their decision. So when you're asking this question, I try to add a little bit more light on attribution and how attribution needs to be triangulated for fertility patients. We don't have a perfect CRM customer relationship management software that integrates with EMRs perfectly. That does not exist yet. So until we have that, and even when we do, we need to triangulate attribution. One way is volumes from whatever we're promoting. The second is in digital attribution through a CRM, through Google analytics, through any other, Digital platforms that you have. And then third is patient self reporting. And when you do the third patient self reporting, that is where you ask the question of the main ways that you're trying to reach patients, whether it's online reviews, social media. If you are spending a lot in traditional media, you would want to know is somebody hearing us? On the radio or seeing us on tv and the answers to those questions need to be binary yes or no there should not be more than eight of them there should not be less than four then the exact number depends on exactly how heavily you're marketing in different areas but they have to be binary yes or no and then the last question is of all of the of these ways of these four different eight four to eight ways what was the most influential in choosing your practice. And that's how we get to, to those numbers. So MD referrals are still extremely important, important. They're just not the lion's share that we sometimes think we are. And so I'm, I'll take a breather to let you ask any follow-up questions before we talk about what that means for Montana.
3: So Griffin, this is Colleen. We have been learning a lot about market segmentation and you're saying you take the data from those sources, you collate it together and then use that to segment your market, correct? Into different segments.
0: Use it to prioritize your marketing efforts. So once you have a general baseline, which I've just given, then you also want to do it for your own You want to do it for your own patient base. So every practice should be doing, should be triangulating attribution in this way for their own practices. And because those numbers might, will be different. That's a that's a U.S. average that I just gave you. And so they will be different, but if you're so much lower and if you're finding that, wow, only 30% of our patients say they were referred by an MD, that's an area where we probably want to invest more, in physician outreach. And so getting that attribution one knows where helps you to know where you're going to prioritize. And then two, it helps you to see as you're investing in those priorities, what's being returned so that you can invest more in those areas.
2: So Griffin, what I'm hearing is, so we have basically two target consumers, the physicians and then the patients themselves, when it comes to the, am I right?
0: Well, you, I, those are the two from the top, but you start to have more as you start to have employers that have employer coverage. And so we've even started to expand. Were you referred by, by your employer benefits broker? Did, did a progeny or a kind body or a carrot say, well, here's who we've got on our network and, 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 this doctor is available. There's also apps and, and lead generation and, and the friends themselves are a, a market in a way, but that could be a little bit tangential. Let's just say you've got your, your 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 top two patients, physicians, and then a quickly emerging third, the employers and the employer benefit companies.
3: Okay. So I'll go up with the next stuff. So we have been learning, and part of our project is to design something that has an improvement in the public health area. And so. Our question for you is: Clinical design solutions more important, or is a growth solution more important?
0: Can you define each, your- not just for the audience, but but per, perhaps for me as well, if I'm being <laughs> honest.
2: Uh, <Is>
0: okay? <laughs> I, I could guess what each of those mean, but I will so- help to. To give some insights.
3: Yeah. A clinical design solution would be something that would improve either access or patient flow or things like that, that would make the patient experience a little bit better or easier on the patient. A growth solution is where you're trying to, right, compete and grow in a market. And which one right now do you think is dominating our field in terms of being a, you know, a goal for fertility practices?
0: This is very hard for me to answer. I feel that you're asking which is more commonplace right now.
3: Yeah. What What's the number one issue right
0: now? Clinical operations is the bottleneck, and so that's that's partly inhibited growth. The experience that we have as a firm, when I came into this field, it was about new patient acquisition, and sometime in the past couple of years oh, let's call it, you know, 2018, 2019, we really had to step away from that as a firm because very few centers want for new patients. The bottleneck is on the clinical operational side. So as a business development firm and a creative firm, where we've started to step in is in the third and fourth phase of the, of the patient marketing journey, at least the second phase and, and really only using the first phase to set people up to move through the journey faster. So not using content so much just to get someone in the door, but using content, creative, the way we answer the phone, videos, digital, all to help people move through the journey faster and more easily take up less of clinicians' time, take up less of support staff's time, not call support staff with, with redundant questions, not when they go see the financial counselor, they have some familiarity with what they're going to talk about and who the financial counselor is. And so we have focused more on supporting, not, not supporting ops directly, but on the content that allows ops to operate more smoothly as opposed to just getting new patients in the door. And so I think that growth is inhibited by this bottleneck that we have in the field right now. There's 1100 of you, Colleen, there's 1100 board certified REIs in the United States of America, give or take of a population of 330 million people. And so, uh, things that I was hearing when I first entered the field in 2014 we would never use someone that's not a board certified REI as one of our docs never they have to be board servant. We would never use a physician assistant. we'd never use a, a nurse practitioner to help with retrievals except they are now and 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 what was only a few people doing that a couple years ago now, very many people are. And the answer is because that bottleneck has to be solved for. And I would love for it to be solved for because I would love to, to go back into super growth mode, but, but operations absolutely precedes growth as, as the need.
3: Which is interesting. Question. Oh, go ahead, Colleen. Oh, no, I was just going to say out of 1,100 phys- board certified physicians, there are two in Montana that cover the entire state. So operations is going to be your bottleneck, right? There's only two of us, so that's a great, great influencer in our lives. And um, and
0: and I I don't believe that the two are are mutually exclusive. I don't think that they're divorced from each other. When we're having this conversation, we have to choose. Then yes, I'm going to say operations. But the way I've built my entire firm is to support that operation, so that so we take what was growth in terms of acquisition and turn it into patients that have more, that are better educated, that understand the, the process of the clinic, that have rapport with the physician so that operations can move. I don't think that they're totally divorced from each other. And I think thinking of them too compartmentalized is a mistake. But to your point, Colleen, about there being two of those in Montana, that's the case in a lot of states and cities across the country. And I've talked about it a lot on the podcast that it concerns me. I don't have data, but it just seems to me if I talk to 10 fellows a year, eight of them are going to a handful of cities, right? It seems to me that 20 of the cities in the country are getting 80 percent of the fellows. I don't have data to support that. So it could be wrong, but it really seems that way to me. And I would love to get that data for people.
2: You know, it's interesting you say that because we have a long I'm the director of OBGYN in my department. In, in etc. And there's a long line of infertility specialists who are trying to present to my department of 34 clinicians. So there's a lot here.
0: And, and and tell us again where you are.
2: I am in the San Francisco Bay Area.
0: Yeah. And many of the people that have been on the show, including some of the fellows, have gone to the, the San Francisco Bay Area. So I do talk a lot on the show about what will become of your Buffalo, New York's, where I'm from, or your Youngstown, Ohio's, or your Billings, Montana's. And I try to make a plug that I think there's actually a lot of opportunity for REIs and fertility centers in those areas, but that could be tangential to uh, what you're looking into today or, or, or maybe it's not tell, tell me more, Colleen, about what you're what you're hoping to do or, or at least exploring as a venture in these underserved oh, areas.
3: I think so one of the things that we're reading is something called Blue Oceans. It's a an evaluation and an article by Kim and Morburn at the Harvard Business Review and it talks about, you know there are red ocean strategies that really are more in a competitive market that are driven by dog eat dog and then there are blue oceans and blue oceans are opportunities where companies you know really create long lasting visionary successfully evolving new markets and so they're actually not competing necessarily they're creating their own new pie and so that's really what we're focusing in on is how do you create this new pie maybe And how do you serve a market that, you know, in a health equity, you know, access issue over the course of history has not really had an opportunity to visit us in an easy way. So I'll let Anna kind of ask, because I think, or, or Leanne had some questions about the actual products that we're thinking about. This is fascinating. And so one of the marketing questions
1: that I have, Griffin, is you were referring to the advent of interdisciplinary expertise that is moving a little bit away from the physician as the sole owner of this type of work. and. And really building up other expertise around our limited physician, which is our our bottleneck. As a marketer, how do you set the expectations of your population that you're marketing to that we do have interdisciplinary expertise and that is evolving? And and while a physician may be at the helm of someone's care, there's a lot of steps along the patient experience that engage other clinicians and others with expertise that, that can help them be successful.
0: Early and often is the answer to the expectation setting question. And because we live in a world that is content dominated and we have yet to catch up to that as a field, that we live in a world that is content dominated. Every hour of many professionals day is dominated by the content they consume about what they're going to purchase, what they're going to eat for dinner, the research that they're doing for their work. And using that to reset the expectations is necessary. It can't be the first time that someone calls on the phone. So, okay. So, great, Griffin. We we need to use content to set expectations. But how? It's thinking of content in the form of a Russian nesting doll. So, if you think of all of the content on a topic, as deep as your point of view can go on something, that's the... You might say that that's the... The tiny, the tiniest hole doll within the Russian nesting doll, and then an infographic, or a shorter blog post, or a video might be the next level, and then a uh, infographic might be the next shell, and then the next shell might be a TikTok representing the entire point of view. And so when people are thinking of what's the best form of content that we should use, is long form better, is short form better, they both serve purposes and they both can lead to conversion, both in form of acquisition and conversion to treatment. And they're both necessary for setting expectations. But if you think of your point of view and start with the point of view on any given topic, and in this case, we're talking about the, the, the support staff and, and, and including other doctors besides REIs and how they contribute to the comprehensive care being delivered. That point of view would start, I recommend starting as a really long article of just really form that point of view. And then we create video from that. Then we create shorter video. Then we create little Instagram posts. And then we create TikTok because they're all going to be seen by different people and sometimes by the same people. And that increases frequency. But we want people to, to, to receive these messages in different ways. Some of them are going to some of them. It's just going to be straightforward. Some of them are going to be funnier and cuter. And that will depend on the brand voice of the people delivering the message. But to the extent that you're varying the content in this way, you can set the expectation with people that they don't have to always see the REI for everything. And I might be inferring into your question too much, Leanne, so tell me if I am. But I hear this from REIs very often, that they think they equal the standard of of care in patient's eyes. And I don't think they universally equal the standard of care in patient's eyes. The bottom line is the patient has to feel and be cared for. The REI is a part of that. How much of a part of that will depend and needs to be experimented with. But to the extent that we're setting people's expectations ahead of time, that, hey, you're going to see this person for this, then this is John, your ultrasound technician, and this is Mary, your phlebotomist, and this is Dr. Patel, or this is your nurse practitioner. To the extent that people are familiar with these folks ahead of time, it makes it a lot easier that the REI doesn't have to be involved in every single thing all the time. This topic that we're talking about today, the REI bottleneck, access to care, the convergence of growth and improvement in clinical operations is the perfect segue to introduce a new sponsor for the show that I'm so excited to announce to you. You know who it is? It's Engaged MD. You know why I'm so excited about this? Because of the seven years that I've been in the field, almost nothing has been so lopsidedly positive as the feedback that I've heard about Engaged MD. I've been recommending them for years, at least since 2015. I hear nothing but good things from the clients that use us, that we recommend to use Engaged MD and from other people in the field. And you've heard it too. If you've listened to this show, people come on this show. There's been several episodes where people would just bring up Engaged MD without me even asking. That's why I had to go get a sponsorship from them. And I'm so pleased to do it because this is a great time as you're starting to think about your 2022, you're sitting down the investments that you're making to make life better for your staff and for your patients. The pre-treatment education that EngagedMD allows you to scale so that you have more rapport with your patients, so that you have true informed consent, not just sticking a handful of papers or a stack of papers and having them sign it, but true informed consent so that you can tailor. The patient education that they need, the standard of care that they need, talk to them about their diagnosis, their progn- prognosis, because they're better educated, they have true informed consent. That's the type of scale that Engaged MD provides. More than half of our clients use it. I guess I got to talk to the remainder that don't because everybody loves Engaged MD. And now that you're planning for 2022, now is the time. It's a quick win that you can give to your team to advance your practice, because this is one of the leading companies in the field. They've got a product roadmap that's as long as my arm, and they're gonna be around for a long time. And you have the opportunity now to get a couple bucks off. Go to engagedmd.com slash IRH, and you get 25% off your implementation fee, that's for new customers. If you're talking to them, tell them you heard them on Inside Reproductive Health, tell them you heard them from Griffin Jones. You get a couple bucks off with 25% off your implementation fee and you'll be starting your practice on the best start that it could have, moving towards scale and moving towards patients who are better educated and have true informed consent with EngagedMD. EngagedMD.com slash IRH. EngagedMD.com slash IRH. Let's get back to this conversation.
2: So Griffin, going back to my question, well, first of all, thank you for that. But going back to my question of of reaching um, our consumer, would it, from your experience, would it be different trying to reach rural America or specifically Montana where, you know, people are four or five hours away that you're trying to reach.
0: Probably. I can give you one thing that tends to be true for rural areas that is less true for urban coastal areas, which is the readiness of how effective organic social media is. And I'm not talking about paid social media, running ads. I'm talking about organic social and the reach that comes from that. I've known when ever we work with a small Midwest market group that, and I see they don't have much of a of social media presence, but as long as I can tell, okay, these are good people, their patients are really happy with them, that it's like taking a match to dry tinder. And that doesn't tend to be the case in large urban coastal areas. And my hypothesis is Again, this is I I could be wrong about this, but I think that it's because in Billings, Montana or Youngstown, Ohio or Omaha, Nebraska, if you're 28 years old and you don't have children in many of those communities, you are not part of the social fabric and there's very few alternatives for you. And the center in this case has the opportunity to stop ben and say, we're your community. You do have a community. You have lots of neighbors and you actually know some of these people. We're not going to identify them, but we're going to be here. And as you start to identify yourselves, you'll start to, to perhaps talk to each other. And now we as the center are at at, at this the we the IVF center at the center of this social community. That is a means that's an advantage for rural centers that doesn't always exist for urban centers. And the good news for them is that it doesn't you don't have to spend a lot of money on advertising necessarily. You do have to spend the time to to create the content. Did that answer your question, Anna? Or was that did I take that off the rails?
2: No, you it 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 answered my question. Would you focus more on the providers then that are serving these patients and, and reach them through their providers? Because as you said, if you're 28 and you don't have kids, you're sort of out of sync with social media.
0: If I'm in a rural area in a small market, I'm, I'm doing organic social first. The first thing I want to do is set up the attribution. So I know that if I'm, I'm wrong about this, but if I'm just having to pick something from the bat in a in a rural small market not even necessarily rural but in a small market that tends to be a place where where family is the social fabric and not a manhattan or a san francisco then it's hasn't been the case every time or has it i'm, I'm really trying to think almost every single time it's the case that that what's missing is is people knowing that my friend, my former coworker, my cousin went to all one went through this, but two went and saw this specialist that they're thrilled with. And that tends to be the lowest hanging fruit in markets like this. It doesn't mean that a physician outreach strategy isn't necessary. It, it very well may be. It tends to be the case in those marketplaces that if if without digging into the attribution, which I would do if we if I were actually talking to a client, if I'm just guessing, that's what I would do.
3: I have a question. There's been an uptick into the direct to consumer kind of fertility testing. And I just wonder if that is a way to reach customer in a rural market or in a lower socioeconomic status or lower access, lower health equity area, could that be a way that we connect with them first?
0: Well, I think anytime that you have to drive three plus hours to a physical location anytime. And for those of you listening, Colleen's putting up her answers. just up to eight hours in some of these in, in the interior West that can be the case. Yeah. These are absolutely areas that expand access that ultimately serve as lead generation for mm-hmm treatment and for centers. So you know, I've had Afton Vectory, the CEO of Modern Fertility on the podcast to, to talk about this concept. And some people might say, well, oh, that's that's not as good as the way we would do our testing here. And that may be the case. You can come on and debate it. I'm not a clinician. What I am saying is that it is a gateway into the next step. And to the extent that we can take out testing from the office, one, it serves as lead gen, two, it improves access because people don't have to travel the distances. But third is it goes back to tying in this theme of growth and this theme of client of clinic ops, where it's triage for the clinics in, in many ways. If you have a bottleneck of people, a two-month wait list of people trying to get in, well, wouldn't it be great if, if some of these people had more information coming into the practice and you were maybe able to refer out to some of those things that an OBGYN or even a PCP could do? So I think triage is a part of, of this as well as bringing the themes of growth and clinic ops together.
3: Yeah, I I wonder often, you know, in many of these kind of rural parts of America, these small critical access hospitals, many of them don't have the ability to run some of the tests we would like them to run. And so that direct to a patient's home where, you know, in the privacy of their home, when they don't have to go to this small town hospital where they know every single person who they walk, walk by, and really have to divulge this very private and scary, you know, diagnosis that, you know, they could be doing that in a little bit of a different way and putting it in the mail. And I think that could be a really great way to, to access and to really, you know, care for these patients in the right way.
1: I have one last question for me is, do you think the future is directly working with payers and insurers to use this sort of home assessment kit? in a way, for fertility for those who have a, you know, basically ICD-10 diagnosis of fertility?
0: It's a great question. It might be above my pay grade. Do you mean that the, the providers would, would require of the, the payers to, to go through these at-home tests before they sent the patient to the office?
1: Well, so to give you an example, hairs are now um, acting in, in many ways almost as a clinical conduit. And a good example is is colorectal cancer screening while you can't do home colonoscopy, you can test your stool for blood or a specialized test to determine if you have a higher likelihood or higher risk of cancer. And so, you know, we can imagine a future state where someone has been officially diagnosed with infertility and contacts their insurance company, and they're able to actually directly administer the tests. I can imagine a future that where then they direct them towards a fertility specialist that's in their network.
0: I I think this is part of the lead gen system that many of the tests themselves are trying to to do. So you're bringing up something to me of uh, that it's interesting of of the employer benefit brokers, the insurance companies doing it and being a part of it. Many of the of these, Tests And there are many of them. There's a couple leaders like the ones that we mentioned, but there's so many that are trying to get into the marketplace that are raising 10, 15, somewhere in the 10 to $25 million ballpark of, of funding. And part of this business model that they have in their minds is that they want to do exactly that. Well, okay, well, here you go, Dr. Milroy, we have these patients for you. They're ready to go. We've screened them. And so far, nobody's been terribly successful at that, partly because they've been looking at the provider to, to pay for that. And I don't think that that's the right model. I think anytime you can go around the providers, uh, listen, I'm, I own a client services firm and we work with providers. I'm telling you, it's not the best way to go. If if you can get somebody else to pay for it, that's typically better. And so I can't speak to, if, if, if for certain that I think that have, having the employer benefits and the insurance companies providing for it, but it could solve the challenge that has come from the providers not. And, I, and I'm thinking of one company and they were pretty good at actually nurturing the patient, at getting information. And I don't, remember to what extent they did uh, testing, but they actually received the money from the patient and they paid the clinic and they still couldn't make that business model work because the clinic fought them on attribution. So I'm sorry that I don't have a, a great Answer for you, Lan, other than here's where it hasn't worked on this side. Maybe it could work on the insurance side. And if it does, attribution would have to be either not a part of it, and because the insurance company doesn't care, they want to they want to do triage and send less people to the expensive people first that they can, or you know, the that attribution model makes sense for them.
1: Yep. I I think that's a great answer, Griffin, and and got us thinking about what is that blue ocean and how do we work out those bottlenecks and those issues to to really expand this access
3: for those who really, really need it. Griffin, that's all we have for you. Do you have anything for us that you'd like to ask us? The
0: question that, that I have is where do you see the provider involvement evolving in the next few years with regards to advanced providers, with regards to OBGYNs? What do you see happening in this area? Because if the bottleneck can open, I can bring a lot more water into the the bottle. Right now, my firm is focused on, okay, we have a limited, we have a narrow passageway. We need to make sure that the, what's going through that passageway is going through as quickly as it can, but I would love to open up the passageway. What do you see happening on the, the provider side?
2: So I will have Colleen, um, <laughs> the last word, but as an OBGYN in my neck of the woods, we actually do a lot of the initial work up and some of us do it all the way to you know, uh, regular ultrasounds, do a look at follicles, and then do interuterine insemination. So we do do that, but it's also a very um, saturated uh, market in the Bay Area. And, and so for some OBDYNs who don't even do the workup, we have the REIs who will do it from scratch and, and take the patient all the way through.
0: So, as a marketer, that seems like the logical path to providing more access, getting more people in. But I'm not a clinician, so I can't speak to that. Colleen, play devil's advocate for a second. Be the old, the old haughty REI that says only REIs can be doing this. What is the argument against having a non-board certified, a non-REI board certified? OBGYN, do the workup, do the IUIs, maybe even do retrievals. If that's two arguments, you can break them into two. But what's the argument against that, Colleen?
3: So historically, I would say it is training within that field enough that you feel comfortable really talking about the nuances and the side effects and, and the risks associated with things. I would say that's old school. And I actually, Griffin, argue the other way often. Where we are covering such a large geographical market, we have to use physician assistants. So each physician is paired with a physician assistant. The physician assistant does the simple IUIs, the ultrasounds, the simple infertility patients, the PCOS patients. And then when those patients go through the process and they're getting to more of the difficult stages of things or surgical stages or IVF stages, that's when they're coming in to see me. So I think it's operations and really who you train and how you train them. I think, you know, we took a whole class, the three of us this summer on operations. And one of the things that we learned in that class that was super important to patient access and flow is what's called a complete kit. And so the way you optimize me as an REI is really to give me the patient tied up with a little ribbon and a perfect little package. And so it's all ready to go. So that means I'm not ordering the basic test. It means I'm not ordering, you know, and then having them follow up with me to talk about a semen analysis. It's that all of that data that all of my team knows needs to be there before they see me is ready to go and perfectly ready for me to evaluate. And then I can really use my degree to say, what do we do with this? What does the data out there tell me to do for next steps? You know, where is your highest chances? What's your quickest time to pregnancy? And so you're using my brain in that way rather than ordering tests. And so complete kits, I think are super important. And we identified it in our operations project as one of the keys to really opening up access to fertility centers, similar to ours.
0: Well, as a non-clinician, I would love to see this. I would love to see the patients that are coming to the REI, the ones that are in most need of the REI. But there's a couple of things that I'd see sometimes. And the only reason I'm seeing this I was a D student in high school biology. So no clinical background. I'm coming from just, I'm looking at referral patterns and how do we get people to move through the process more quickly. And sometimes I see people that are coming to the, that stay at their OBGYN for far too long. The OBGYN is doing timed intercourse. They're doing IUIs. They're doing, they might be doing some other things, but they haven't even tested the male partner for a semen analysis. and I'm like, Oh, all right, here's this other referral source. So that gives me a, a glimpse into, all right, that's probably a clinical oversight. I, I'm not a doctor, but so how do you create the framework that, that it's the right OBGYNs that are doing this, that they have at least some training and maybe not an accreditation, but to get you what you need to have those patients with the it? How does that happen?
3: And maybe Anna and I can answer this together with her being a general OBGYN in the fact that I share what I know as much as I can. And so when I go talk to the OBGYN, when they are contacting me, I am sharing not only what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And so things like time dinner course without a semen analysis, probably not that helpful. And so right, reminding my referral patterns where we live, it's not just OBGYNs. It's family practice doctors, it's critical access hospitals, it's nurse practitioners and physicians assistants that are actually really referring to me who really not never got training in this space. And so it's really creating outreach for education for, the, for my rural providers out there who maybe see this three times a year, right? And, and don't feel comfortable in that space. And so they're just trying to do whatever they can to help the patient. But in reality, they're wasting time And so I think, you know, having access to me, like when they call me, we always answer them and always quickly respond and then spending time really educating them on what's really helpful for these patients. Anna, do you have another thought being an OBGYN?
2: Yes, I was just going to say, so basic infertility management is actually part of our training. For you
3: as an OBGYN, absolutely. Not for my physician assistant who's at... A rural access hospital.
2: And, and one of the things I cannot emphasize a uh, Colleen's point on education enough. So part of my condition actually, whenever an REI presents to my department to try to get a referrals, is to do some teaching to the entire department as part of their introduction. So educating clinicians, not just OBGYNs, but to Colleen's point, you know, primary care providers is key so that the patient's time is not wasted as they're getting worked up. And you know, I, one of the first things I always tell my patients who are coming to see me with infertility is men make up a huge proportion of infertility problems. And so that's actually one of the first things that people should be testing for, and not always just assume that it's the woman's problem. But the other um, thing, though, that comes into the equation is insurance companies actually pay less when the OBGYNs or the primary care clinician does the testing as opposed to when the the REI does the testing. And so that's another reason people come to us first.
0: Well, what you just described is why I don't think referring provider outreach is going away as as a strategy, as a business development strategy. It's not the end-all be-all of the single source of patient attribution, but it also ties into what's needed for triage to help qualify patients that are coming to the REI to move them through more quickly. So I've enjoyed this conversation with the three of you. It's having this clinical operations framework meet a marketing framework they're not totally divorced from each other. It is a Venn diagram and they do overlap. So I, I do reach a point where I say this is as far as I can go on the train. And, and it's been nice to, to talk with the three of you of where those areas meet. Dr. Yanni, Dr. Sapugwe, Dr. Milroy, Jan, Leanne, Anna, Colleen, having three of you guests on, I wish you the best of luck in your MBA program. And thank you for doing that extracurricular business study to improve the quality of the standard of medicine and for coming on Inside Reproductive Health.
1: You've been listening to Inside Reproductive Health, sponsored by Engaged MD For technology to streamline patient education and informed consent, Visit EngagedMD.com slash IRH for 25% off your implementation fee. That's EngagedMD.com slash IRH.